0: President Shirley M. Tillman, the 19th president of Princeton University, will preside at this, the 263rd commencement. President
1: Tillman. Thank you. The invocation will be pronounced by Dean Bowden.
2: Please join me in a spirit of prayer source and end of all we cherish we are grateful for the blessings that crowd our lives surely they are too numerous ever to count this morning we give deepest thanks for the young women and men before us they are ours for a moment and yours forever may their lives be testimonies to integrity and simple grace may they enjoy contentment and restlessness Fulfillment and hunger, patience and impatience. May they walk through our gates at peace with all that is peaceable and dissatisfied with all that is unjust. May they find purpose and joy in all their strivings, even in adversity. And may their lives be immersed in wonder, mystery, love, and grace. Amen.
1: Please be seated. It is my pleasure this morning on behalf of Princeton University to welcome all of you to campus. I would like to extend warm greetings to family and friends who have gathered here to celebrate with the graduating seniors of the class of 2010 and with the recipients of advanced degrees from Princeton's graduate school. May I ask at this time that the parents, grandparents, and other family members and friends of today's graduating students rise and remain standing. And now I would like to invite the graduates. You've got the idea. Thank you. I would also like to thank the hundreds of faculty, students, and staff, and alumni who have contributed to the success of the last six days in which we have celebrated with our alumni and students at Princeton. I would especially like to recognize the building services and maintenance crews who set up 183,000 square feet of tenting, more than 15,000 chairs, more than 1,700 round tables, and 520 trash cans. (laughs) The broadcast center personnel who installed 11 miles of wiring and the staff and dining services who served 36,000 cookies and 4,000 pounds of chicken for a total of 30,000 meals. They have been here at the break of dawn and late into the night for the last week to affect multiple transformations of this campus, from reunions to baccalaureate, from class day to the hooding ceremony, and now to this moment in front of Nassau Hall. They make events like today possible. Please join me in thanking them. Now for those of you sitting in the sun, what I am about to say may seem unduly pessimistic for a day of celebration, but because of the potential threat of heavy rain, possibly accompanied by lightning, we have decided to change the order of the program today and begin with the conferring of undergraduate and graduate degrees. If I receive word during the ceremony that a storm is imminent, I will conclude the proceedings and ask that you vacate the front lawn as quickly as possible. (laughs) Following the instructions of the folks with the orange hats who will lead you to cover, the platform party will reconvene in the faculty room for the presentations of any awards or degrees that have not been given and we will send all of today's degree recipients the remarks that were prepared by the valedictorian and the salutatorian if necessary. Once the storm has passed, and I am hoping by issuing this, there will be no such storm, the members of the class of 2010 and their families will proceed to their residential colleges to receive their diplomas as scheduled. Now let me introduce the Dean of the College and Professor in the Department of History, Nancy Malkiel, who will present the candidates for undergraduate degrees.
3: At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for Princeton University's bachelor's degree. Um, The President has already reminded you that you will pick up your uh, diplomas and program certificates at your residential colleges at the conclusion of these exercises. And if anyone is the least bit puzzled as to where that is, take a look at the last page of the commencement program. We begin with the candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts. Before presenting you to President Tillman and the trustees for the awarding of your degrees, I will introduce you informally, department by department. Please stand in your place as your department is named. I ask your families, classmates, and friends to withhold their applause until all undergraduates in each group have been introduced. First, I should like to invite the members of the following departments to stand. Art and Archaeology, the School of Architecture, English, and Music. Please be seated. And now the members of these departments, Classics, comparative literature, French and Italian, German, Slavic languages and literatures, Spanish and Portuguese languages and cultures, East Asian studies, Near Eastern studies, and independent concentration. Please be seated. We turn next to the departments of history, philosophy, and religion. Will undergraduate members of these departments please rise. Politics. And the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Now those graduating seniors in anthropology Sociology and Economics. Will seniors in these departments please stand? Ecology and Evolutionary Biology, and Molecular Biology. Finally, I wish to introduce the seniors receiving Bachelor of Arts degrees in Astrophysical Sciences, Chemistry, Computer Science, geosciences, mathematics, physics, and psychology. At this time, all candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts are invited to stand together. President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Bachelor of Arts.
1: Octoritate mihi curatoribus <laughs> universitatis princetoniensis commissa, vos ad gradum primum in artibus et cum honoribus ut indicatum est admito.
3: Please be seated. At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Once again, I will invite you to stand in place as your department is named, and I will ask your families, classmates, and friends to hold their applause until your degrees have been conferred. I invite Bachelor of Science in Engineering candidates in the following departments to rise. Chemical Engineering, Civil and Environmental Engineering, Computer Science, Electrical Engineering, Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering, and Operations Research and Financial Engineering. President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Octoritate mihi accuratoribus universitatis
1: princetoniensis commissa, both gradum primum inscientius ingeneris et cum honoribus, but indicatum est admito.
3: Let me finally invite the entire class of 2010, 1166 strong, to rise as a body. Artists, writers, scholars, athletes, campus leaders, community volunteers, recipients of honors, certificates, and prizes, members of honor societies, winners of fellowships, you have put your imprint on this university and you leave with our warmest congratulations.
1: Be seated. At this time, I would like to introduce Dean of the Graduate School and the Arthur W. Marks 19 Professor of Chemical Engineering, William B. Russell, who will present the candidates for advanced degrees.
4: At this time, we recognize each individual who has qualified for an advanced degree from Princeton University. Let me remind you at the outset that if your diploma was conferred by the trustees at the current meeting, it may be picked up behind Nassau Hall on Cannon Green after the conclusion of these ceremonies. As many of the candidates for master's degrees as are present, please rise in their places. President Tillman, I have the honor to to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degrees of Master of Arts, Master of Fine Arts, Master of Arts in Near Eastern Studies, Master in Finance, Master of Architecture, Master in Public Affairs, Master in Public Policy, Master of Science and Engineering, and Master of Engineering.
1: Octoritate Mihi Curatoribus Universitatus Princetoniensis Commissa Posse Gradum Secundum Admito.
4: Please be seated. Will the candidates for the doctor's degree please stand? (laughs) President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and other candidates duly certified who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Doctor of Philosophy.
1: Actoritate mihi a curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis commissa. Vos ad doctoris in philosophia admitto. Doctor of Philosophy is the highest academic degree awarded, marking an original and independent contribution to the world of scholarship. I am especially pleased to congratulate today's degree recipients. Well done. Please be seated. The Latin salutatory will be delivered by Marguerite Coulson, a senior from New York, New York.
5: Gratulationes, Classis duorum milium decem. Magnificantissima res princetoniae. <laughs> Primum te saluto, Price Tillman. Adversaria acarima, notarum inflatarum, fraternitatium et ebriatatis in modicae. Dende vos saluto, curatoris, pro magisterio, et vos professores, pro sapientia. Et eis scriptis quainos nos pascides inter abdominas probationem semi <laughs> 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 Parentes, vos etiam saluto. Nati vestris sunt morose studiosi, et ex eis titulis quos propugnaculis vestorum carorum adfixistis, sentio vos glorificavise illos mores. Quondam ex parentibus iPod ut dicitor <laughs> pro dono diae nativitatis patiwi at cui acepi facetias latinas primanibus. Itaque tibi mater et tibi pater, carpe donum et gratias vobis ago, qui hortatis estis me studere linguae quae erit utilima si umquam quaestum quaera in quiitate waticana. <laughs> <laughs> Nunc sodales. Vos saluto, et edmoneo vos huquenisse sapientiam non lucrum ex studiis westris patentes. Hic princetoniae celebramus mora- mores qui durawerant per saecula. Hic salutatio, quam vix viginti ominois ex tota caterwa Prima dicta est anno milensimo septingentesimo quadragesimo octavo. Tabulae honestatis nos teruerant ex anno, milensimo octingentesimo, nonagesimo tertio. Moribus antiquis imbutissimus, et non allegati. Quin etiam nous antiquis adimus, exempli gratia. Dubito primum illud carosarium amiculum ani, milensimi non nongentesimi, decimi, secundi. Fabricatum esse quod viginti quatur corsia leuia. <laughs> Commemoremos quoque classum nostrum, sanctisce consuetudinem tam antiquam quam princitoniam ipsam. Cohabitationem ominem utriusque sexis. Classis futurae, hoc wobis donum nostrum est. Initio e prices tomen, oc verbum nobis dixisti, praeteritum non est prailucio. Octio ultimo respicientes, non in obstinata exempla, well necessitates, sed occasiones communtandorum institutorum, quae colamas, et constituendarum novarum consuetudinum, quae nos in futura transwehant. Concilium tuum in quinque partes duissem uset, nos prosequi cupiditates, nostras, explorare locos novos guientiae, nos ipsos moderare, aduare alios et nos oblectare. Ehu, manumet et difficuli fuit, inoenere gaudium ilis diebos <laughs> ante nostres thesis sumitendas, cum includeremur in subterraneis cubiculis viscantes twizzlers nodos et for loco. tamen, juventutam nostram oblectabimus, Adea ut miraremor quis furibundis constituiset wel disputationes quinta ora esse ocipiendas. Well, diam when in ebdomadae scolare esse incudendum. Crisis Tillman. Adam sextum partem partibus quinquetuis. Well, secret Ezra Pound Omnia noa facite. Nam ile doctis poeta affirmabat renovatio renoationem futurum esse sine intellectu atque estimatione veterum. Eo ipso socii princetoniensis. Domexitis videtis vincitis at bibitis, semper fidelis eis consuetudinibus sitis in quibus in fundamentos successus wester extruitor. Memoria tenete autem, ilas renoare et vuestra facere. <clears throat>
1: I would like to introduce University Provost Christopher Eisgruber, the Lawrence S. Rockefeller Professor of Public Affairs and the University Center for Human Values, who will introduce this year's winners of the Secondary School Teaching Awards.
6: Each year at commencement, Princeton honors four outstanding teachers selected from the secondary schools of New Jersey. In so doing, we gratefully acknowledge the exceptional contributions of our colleagues who teach in the high schools and middle schools. I would like at this time to recognize each teacher individually. I would ask that you hold your applause until all of the award winners have been recognized. Roy Chambers. A recognized artist in his own right, Roy Chambers says that his lessons have everything to do with art and, at the same time, everything to do with an effort to connect student to student, student to teacher, subject to subject, and art to their lives. He is committed to making Westfield High School a place where people can engage difficult questions creatively and with respect for others. His students think he's magic. He reaches the artistically gifted and those who are not. And for those whose talents seem hidden, he teaches them how to express themselves. For all of his students, the word that defines him is genuine. Gregory B. divine. Physics, the very word can send chills up the spine, <laughs> triggered by the daunting realm of the quark, the lepton, and the hadron collider. Gregory Devine's students at Del Barton High School trumpet his ability to demystify seemingly arcane subjects. For him, the enemy is teaching to the test and learning only for a grade. The hero is the student who overcomes a difficult subject by sheer determination and hard work, who is pushed to learn by a burning desire to find the answer to the question why. He brings to his students that rare and pure joy of the aha moment when understanding clicks. That's what makes his teaching, in a word, divine. Arjean Safari. At Pascack Valley High School, Arjean Safari uses music as a vehicle to teach about different, different cultures, about history, and about the left and right hemispheres of the brain and how we form memories. Her choir members learn to amplify the power of each individual voice by working as part of a whole, and to appreciate an individual's responsibility for the success of the group. Through music, she engages students who might otherwise go unheard. Students who have difficulty putting thoughts into words credit her with helping them find their voice. They sing her praises, for it is she who has given them the key, major and minor, to the richness of their own potential. Hans Robert Toft. His colleagues say that Hans Toft has educational charisma. He credits Mother Nature as his own greatest teacher. His primary classroom is the outdoors, the marsh by Cape May County Technical High School. In almost four decades of teaching, he has given his students the gift of wonder wonder at the power of nature, and wonder at their own abilities. A red-tailed hawk serves as his lure to capture the interest of his students, and with a hawk-keen eye, he recognizes their hidden strengths, nourishes them by giving them responsibility, and then encourages them to soar on the upward drafts of realized potential. I ask that you please join me now in recognizing these teachers' extraordinary contributions to our society's future.
1: The faculty elects the valedictorian each year, taking into account special qualifications as well as scholastic ranking. This year's valedictorian is David E. Carp, a senior from Berwyn, Pennsylvania.
7: In a few hours, we will all be in possession of probably the most expensive piece of paper we will ever own. (laughs) By the time we pick up our diplomas, they will be covered in ink, our names, some Latin that Marguerite can translate for you, and our major. But not long ago, they were nothing more than blank sheets of paper. Sure, it seems the natural choice for a sheet of paper stamped with a Princeton seal would be to create a diploma but how about something a little more fun? Perhaps an airplane, or maybe a paper football. Now, I wouldn't recommend any of these uses for your diploma. It's faded to a life of sitting above your desk in an overpriced frame. But even now that President Tillman has recited the softly spoken magic spells, we are not stamped with a final purpose in the way that our diplomas have been. For example, Career Services has made us all aware that no matter what our major, we may want to consider iBanking or consulting. (laughs) All kidding aside, the varying future plans I have heard from friends show that for many of us, we have done well to avoid letting our major dictate our path through life. I've met an engineer turned med student, a physicist turned music theorist, and an economics major turned high tech entrepreneur. And with any luck, all of them, and the rest of us, will be successful in our first adventures away from Nassau Hall. But even success in our chosen profession should not limit the possibilities we allow for ourselves in the future. In 1993, Michael Jordan scored 32.6 points per game and led the Chicago Bulls to their third straight NBA title. In 1994, he hit 202 and struck out 114 times for the Birmingham Barons, performance that even Space Jam couldn't help mocking. it. <laughs> His airness was unquestionably the greatest basketball player in the world when he left the game. But more importantly, he was an athlete. The latter half of that statement holds for all of sports' greatest figures. Allen Iverson may spend every day practicing to be a basketball player. Well, most days. <laughs> but he has often talked about giving football another shot just to see if he has what it takes. And so, there is something to be said for what MJ accomplished by venturing into baseball. It showed a courage and desire to truly test his athleticism. And that is something to be praised, no matter what the results. So what does any of this have to do with us? Just as Jordan was an athlete first and a basketball player second, we are people first, scholars second, and our majors third. And it is important to keep this hierarchy in mind when considering our choices in life. And in this way, our future lives remain a fairly blank sheet of paper. For while a physics major may have limited options, a person in general does not. And I say that we are scholars second for good reason. The scholastic achievements of our class are well-documented. And I am certain that the intellectual challenges that we as a class will take on and solve will be numerous. But our time here has prepared us to handle far more than just academic pursuits, and our talents and passions clearly reflect this. Now that we have all successfully run the great intellectual gauntlet that is the Princeton undergrad experience, I hope that all of you will continue to seek out things that challenge you, not just as a lawyer, or a teacher, or a hockey player, But as a person, we all have varying degrees of certainty about what we want to do with our lives. But the neat thing, I think, is that a lot of us that think we know what we want are so very wrong. So when the opportunity arises to be a snowboarding instructor in Breckenridge, or a translator for the Ukrainian government, or a space elevator operator, if the MAs do their jobs, Let the fact that you never saw it coming be an attraction, not a deterrent. And let the fact that your Princeton experience, or practice, if you will, hasn't directly prepared you for it, make the challenge all the more exciting. And if someday you feel that you have accomplished all there is to accomplish in your field, you are a Supreme Court Justice, you founded Amazon.com, you write the great American novel, all things that Princetonians have been known to do, then truly congratulations to you. Or maybe you've gone for something completely non-traditional and found success in that, in which case my congratulations are double. But if you do reach that point of ultimate success, then perhaps it's time to dust off your mitt and show up for spring training. Fold up your diploma into a paper airplane and see if it flies. Thank you. And congratulations to you all.
1: It is a special pleasure for me to confer the President's Awards for Distinguished Teaching, which honor four members of the faculty, for a sustained record of excellence in teaching at both the undergraduate and graduate levels. Dean of the faculty and Philip Y. Goldman, 86, professor in computer science, David P. Dopkin, will introduce each award winner.
0: I would like to introduce each of the award winners individually. Erhan Chenlar, Norman Sollenberger, professor in engineering, professor of operations research and financial engineering. For him, first class research and first class teaching are inseparable. He promises his students that his probability course will not only make you more intelligent, it will make you feel more intelligent. (laughs) Judging by the popularity of this legendary course, the probability that his promise will be fulfilled is consistently very high. He urges students to use mental gymnastics and mathematical rigor to solve problems, but he does not discredit intuition. We can use either mathematical calculations of teaching scores or intuitive analyses of student evaluations to prove, without doubt, that he deserves this award. President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Chinlar. Arcadio Diaz Quinones. Emory L. Ford Professor of Spanish, Professor of Spanish and Portuguese Languages and Cultures. His essays on Latin American poetry and literature are classics in the modern literary canon. His teaching is described as mesmeric. He takes his students on a journey to the complex and rich worlds of Latin American fiction and poetry. And when they return, they've been transformed forever. For him, teaching borders on a sacred obligation. For his students, that commitment to teaching makes them part of a vast web of enthusiastic and grateful disciples who seek to read with his critical eye, act with his empathic heart, and rhythm their actions to match his characteristic grace. President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Diaz. P. Adam Sidney, Professor of Visual Arts in the Lewis Center for the Arts. From student evaluations, we have cut and spliced a portrayal of this foremost authority on the American avant-garde cinema. He is the very model of a modern humanist. He looks the part of a professor, but most of all, he acts the part of a professor. He loves learning, teaching, and lively discussion, and is exceptional at all three. He may cultivate a somewhat curmudgeonly attitude, but at bottom, he is an affectionate and generous mentor. His lectures are amazing, incandescent, deserve three thumbs up. To quote one student, he may seem a bit crazy, but you would be crazy not to give him this award. (laughs) President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Sidney. (laughs) Jeffrey L. Stout, professor of religion. In his own words, he teaches a highly demanding form of self-reliance. But he is famous for the individual help and attention he gives students. Whether in conversations in the Department of Religion's lounge or pep talks in the soccer team's locker room, he works tirelessly to foster a vibrant and supportive intellectual community. His students remind us that he defines teaching as awakening sleepers. To make their point, they recall how he caps off his lecture on Protestant Christian ethics with a rendition of Amazing Grace, and his likening the search for religion to Piglet and Winnie the Pooh's quest for the woozle. Sleepers, awake to this excellent teacher. President Tillman, I have the honor to present Professor Stout. Please join me in recognizing the contributions of these faculty members to the vitality of Princeton's teaching mission. Members of the faculty and staff who retire from Princeton this year are recognized in the commencement program. The university is grateful to each of them for their contributions to the Princeton community and their commitment to the fulfillment of the university's mission. Please join me in applause to express our appreciation.
1: The university orator, And trustee Charles Gibson, class of 1965, will now present the candidates for honorary degrees.
8: President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws honoris causa, Drew Gilpin Faust. What brings the president of our sister institution on the Charles to this house of Orange Nassau? Some Faustian pact with the devil? (laughs) No. She is here to receive our praise as an award-winning historian of the Civil War and the antebellum South, as teacher and leader of our nation's oldest center for higher learning. How extraordinary is this woman? In selecting her, Harvard chose a president without a Harvard degree for the first time since 1654. (laughs) A visionary leader, she champions excellence and opportunity and at a time when the very purposes of a university are questioned, she brings her powerful intellect, insight, and integrity to bear on the challenges ahead. Daughter of a Princetonian, she now becomes a daughter of Princeton. In accordance with Princeton's motto, under God's power, may she flourish.
1: Octoritate mehi a curatoribus <laughs> universitatus Princetoniensis commissa. Te ad gradum doctoris in legibus honoris causa admito.
8: President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws honoris causa Ruth Bader Ginsburg. deserved recognition by a discriminatory profession when she graduated at the top of her law school class. She has dedicated her life to vindicating the Constitution's promise of equality under law as a distinguished law professor, a respected Supreme Court litigator, and a trailblazing advocate for women's rights. Through brilliant strategy and rigorous argument, she persuaded the Supreme Court to recognize a constitutional right to be free from sex discrimination, her triumphs earned her a seat on the bench, and eventually, on this nation's highest court, where her jurisprudence is a beacon of freedom that illuminates the continuing power of America's constitutional ideals. President Tillman, Justice Ginsburg.
1: mihi universitatis Princetoniensis gradum doctoris in legibus honoris causa. Admito.
8: President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Science, honoris causa, Olafumileo Falusi Olapade. Witness to hundreds of parishioners who came to her minister father daily for help in her native Nigeria, she decided to become a doctor who would minister especially to those with breast cancer. Regarding her patients as teachers, she involves their families in the quest for life-saving answers. Using molecular findings and innovative clinical practices, she has discovered lethal links between genetics and risk factors. Her battle to improve early detection and treatment extends from America to Africa, from the classroom to the laboratory, focused always on the needs of the individual, on giving them the gift of time, and in time, finding a cure. <laughs> Professor Tillman, Professor Olapade.
1: Actoritate mihi a curatoribus <laughs> universitatis princetoniensis comisa. Te ad gradam doctoris scientes honoris causa admito.
8: Professor Tillman, I have the honor, President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws, honoris causa, Albie Sachs. Broken in body, but never in spirit, he endured 30 years of persecution, violence, and exile before leading South Africa in the creation of a new constitutional framework for securing freedom and justice. Forged in a crucible of unspeakable pain, his lifelong commitment to social justice and equality before the law springs from an unshakable faith in humanity that patiently embraces the peaceful competition of dissenting voices so that freedom and enlightenment may prevail over oppression and ignorance. Today, the courageous writings and rulings of this visionary jurist continue to heal and illuminate a once divided nation. His pivotal role has helped bring his country into the community of responsible nations with a constitution that recognizes the dignity of all its citizens. President Tillman, Justice Sachs.
1: mihi a universitatis princetoniensis Te ad gradum doctoris in legibus honoris causa admito.
8: And finally, President Tillman, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Science, honoris causa, Edward Curtis Taylor. Fascination with the iridescent wing of the butterfly led him on a journey that resulted in the development of molecules that improved the lives of thousands. In the chaotic world of drug design, he brings rationality, designing selective warriors against cancerous tumors that avoid indiscriminate destruction of healthy tissue. As a charismatic teacher, influential advisor, accomplished researcher, and respected consultant, he has demonstrated not only a passion for discovery, but a determination to translate discovery into treatment. His four-plus decades at Princeton Leave a lasting legacy for his students and colleagues, his university, and all throughout the world, who benefit from the fruits of his curiosity. President Tillman, Professor Taylor.
1: Octoritate Mihi ac universitatis <laughs> Princetoniensis commissa, te ad gradum doctoris in scientis honoris causa admito. We've almost made it. It is a great pleasure for me to continue Princeton's long-standing tradition of letting the president have the first word at opening exercises and the last word at commencement. Earlier this year, I had reason to believe that this class was especially interested in what I had to say, as we received an unusually high volume of calls into my office inquiring about the availability of extra commencement tickets. Now, we didn't know whether to be gratified or puzzled until we realized that there was a rumor going around that First Lady Michelle Obama of the class of 1985 would be delivering the address to mark the 25th anniversary of her graduation from Princeton. So I guess I need to begin by apologizing to all of those disappointed folks for the obvious fact that I am not Michelle Obama. I understand that those extra tickets were being sold this morning on eBay for the price of postage. (laughs) What I can bring to my remarks this morning that she could not is the great experience of having had a front row seat to your journeys through Princeton. I marveled at your commitment to community service, including your fall break trip to serve hot breakfast to famished Harvard students who were suffering under President Faust's cost-cutting measures. (laughs) As a Canadian, I was impressed by your construction of affordable housing during the big snowstorm. (laughs) And like you, I was taken aback when the housing office said that setting up residents in igloos was forbidden. (laughs) They obviously did not grow up in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I have also attended thrilling athletic events. Like the bonfire that celebrated the football team's Ivy League championship in your freshman year. And the amazing run of the women's basketball team to their first outright Ivy championship this spring. I watched Eliza Doolittle come to life on the stage this fall and Mahler's immensely difficult Sixth Symphony raised high the roof at Richardson Auditorium a month ago. And I've watched with pride as you responded to natural disasters of epic proportions from the streets of Port-au-Prince to the mountains of Sichuan, China. I've witnessed the electricity that is generated when PhD students gather to share their work with one another. And I've seen how master's students at the Woodard Wilson School have tackled some of the most challenging issues facing our world today through their graduate policy workshops. In countless office hours, lunches, and dinners, you challenged me to think anew about everything from climate change to workers' rights, from gay marriage to the role of women leaders on campus, and yes, that perennial favorite, our grading policy. For me, it has been an exhilarating time, the best possible way to live one's life, being continuously stimulated and impressed by young men and women who are preparing through education to imagine how they will create a more perfect union for this country and the world. As anyone who has tried to change the world eventually learns, though, imagining is easy. Doing is hard. I learned that lesson early in my career from a pathology professor who had a sign on his desk that said, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's experiments that count. As I think about the world you are about to enter, It seems to me that affecting change has never been harder. We are living in an increasingly polarized world in which discussion and debate, those critical ingredients for creating fertile ground for change, have become sharper and far more likely to result in impasse than in consensus. The national spectacle we have just endured during the consideration of health care reform was not an edifying one, and it did not speak well for our body politic, no matter where one stands on the political spectrum. Both sides engaged in varying degrees of exaggeration and misrepresentation, committing both errors of omission and commission. And far too Too few politicians, media commentators, and engaged citizens took the long view that reform of some kind is necessary if health care is not to bankrupt the country, or asked how a society as privileged as ours could allow children to go without medical care. A call for civil discourse has become the anthem of Jim Leach, Class of 1964, former university trustee and this year's Woodrow Wilson Award winner. A former Republican congressman from Iowa who now chairs the National Endowment of the Humanities, he has been on a nationwide tour exhorting audiences to consider the dangers of polarization in our political sphere. In a recent speech at Miami-Dade Community College, he observed, we see this polarization in the public square where history-blind words like fascist and communist are being applied to individuals in high office as if these individuals should be considered mortal enemies rather than political rivals. And where concepts like secession and nullification are being considered as if the Civil War didn't resolve issues of the human soul and the primacy of the Union. Now politics has always been considered a blood sport. Although it may have reached its nadir during the famous duel in 1804 between Aaron Burr, Princeton class of 1772, and Alexander Hamilton, politics has never been for the faint of heart and never more so than today. Everyone has taken sides, retreated to his or her respective corner, tuned into the cable networks where they will have their opinions confirmed or logged into the internet bloggers who reinforce rather than challenge those opinions. Marcus Pryor, a faculty member in the Department of Politics, has written a fascinating account of polarization in his 2007 Cambridge University Press book called Post-Broadcast Democracy, How Media Choice Increases Inequality in Political Involvement and Polarizes Elections. His thesis is that the proliferation of media, both cable, TV, and the internet, which one would think would provide richer opportunities for dialogue in a democracy, has instead contributed significantly to the polarization we see today. For most of the second half of the 20th century, viewers had only three networks to choose among to learn their view the news. Those networks were relatively nonpartisan in their views and Americans participated collectively in a nightly ritual of learning the events of the day by watching the six o'clock news. Today, as our university orator and class day speaker will surely attest, those viewers have before them an almost impossible range of choices and can exercise that choice 24 hours a day. And too often, viewers gravitate to the news source that reinforces their own views. Whether you tune into Rachel Maddow and Keith Olbermann on the left, or Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh on the right, or look to Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert to simply laugh at it all, there is little doubt that the trend of framing national issues in the language of black and white either or, good or bad, has created a downward spiral in the tone of our political discourse. Now what does this have to do with you, the graduates of 2010? I would answer that question by posing another that President Barack Obama asked the graduating class at the University of Michigan's commencement a few weeks ago. He asked, how will you keep our democracy going? At a moment when our challenges seem so big and our politics seem so small, how will you keep our democracy alive and vibrant? How will you keep it well in this century? One aspect of keeping democracy alive and well is seeking common purpose and finding common ground with one another. Your Princeton education is intended to help you develop the character and habits of mind for you to do this. On our campus, you've been exposed to a rich smorgasbord of ideas, perspectives, and cultures, both inside and outside the classroom. Our goal was not to turn you into walking encyclopedias, although you may have felt that way during general and comprehensive exams. Rather, we were asked, you, you were asked to acquire learning so that you would have the intellectual foundation to engage with the great ideas and pressing issues of the day, some that have endured since ancient times, and some that are unique to our modern society. And through these encounters, you have had a unique opportunity to hone your own perspective on the world. I'm reminded of an Evangelical Christian student who signed up as a freshman for a course I taught some time ago on genetics and evolution. Well into the course, she confided to me that she did not believe in Darwinian evolution, but had decided to take the course so that she could understand the arguments on the other side of the debate. It takes real self-confidence to confront the other point of view rather than retreat into the safety and the comfort of what is familiar, to critically explore a different way of thinking, and to be open to the possibility that one might actually change one's mind. Those inclinations define the well-educated individual. Now that is not to say that our goal is to graduate a class of like-minded thinkers. Just the opposite is true, in fact. We want you to hold strong and well-considered views on a wide variety of issues and to be prepared to articulate those views in debate and to defend them to critics. We fully expect that on matters high and low, from the future of democracy To the preservation of the dinky, you will follow in the storied footsteps of generations of Princetonians who have sat on this lawn before you and hold wildly divergent views. If you don't believe me, I suggest you read the letters to the editors in the Princeton Alumni Weekly. But in taking those positions and in debating them with others, we expect that you will embody the description of a well-educated Princetonian so beautifully articulated by Woodrow Wilson 100 years ago. Being well-educated, he wrote, consists in the power to distinguish good reasoning from bad, in the power to digest and interpret evidence, in a habit of Catholic observation and a preference for the nonpartisan view, in an addiction to clear and logical processes of thought, and yet an instinctive desire to interpret rather than stick to the letter of the reasoning, in a taste for knowledge and a deep respect for the integrity of the human mind. By now, it has surely occurred to you that Princeton does not depend solely upon the faculty and its curriculum to expose you to the other, as Woodrow Wilson framed it, and to instill in you a respect for differing points of view. We have also deployed a truly powerful weapon, which is all of you. You hail from the four corners of the United States and from around the globe bringing with you experiences and beliefs that collectively form a panoramic view of the world's cultures. When a Christian and an atheist find themselves as freshman roommates, when a straight and gay man play on the same team, when a freshman from Nigeria and a fifth-year graduate student from Montana share the same table in a residential college, When a conservative and a liberal are cast as leads in a play, they are all encountering the other in meaningful ways. Although it is always a little painful as a faculty member to say this, the powerful lessons you take away from your Princeton education are learned as often on the playing fields and performance stages, in dining halls, dorm rooms, eating clubs, as in the classroom or the laboratory. It is much harder to throw epithets at a group when the group has the human face of your friend or your classmate. By living and studying together, you were able to see beyond difference to the common humanity that binds us all. And so as you walk, skip, or run through the Fitz-Randolph gates today, as educated citizens of this and many other nations, I hope you will carry forward the spirit of Princeton and all that it has sought to teach you. An openness to the other point of view, the courage to stand up for what you believe in, all informed by the highest standards of integrity and mutual respect. And I expect you will continue to do as you have done at Princeton, to aim high and be bold. My warmest wishes go with you all. At the conclusion of the benediction and after the singing of Old Nassau, Guests are requested to remain in their places until the platform party and the degree candidates have left front campus and returned to Cannon Green. The benediction will be pronounced by Dean Rauschenbusch.
6: Please rise. Beloved graduates of Princeton University, may compassion quicken your hearts. May righteousness temper your actions. May wisdom captain your minds. May vocation guide your choices. May you seek and offer love, recognize and create beauty, be the source and celebrant of joy. And wherever life may take you, may you flourish in God's presence. So be it.